On this edition of Tap Out Talk, we're going to talk about the legends that inspired us yesterday, today, and tomorrow. It's all about the Hall of Fame class of 2020 and 2021, and I have my surprise radio sports analyst with me today in the house, here on the Hall of Fame edition of Tap Out Talk. Let's get right in. This is Tap Out Talk in the Hall of Fame discussion. I am your host, Brian Adkins, and with me to the right is my main man, sports radio personality and radio god, Nikki T. Michaels. How you doing, Nick? Good, Brian. How you doing? Thanks for having me. Doing good. So, you know, I start out, and um, we talk about the Hall of Fame, and these are the legends of the industry, mm-hmm. and the WWE puts this on every year to honor its employees and honor those that influence the industry as a whole. And, you know, when we induct somebody into the Hall of Fame, we're celebrating their careers, their success, and then um, also their influence. What does the Hall of Fame ceremony mean to you? I think it's great because, you know, you get to honor the past legends, um, guys who maybe wrestled 20 years ago, 30 years ago, that have been overlooked sometimes, or some of the, the recent guys like Kane who have been around forever, who recently retired and he's moved on and finally being acknowledged into the Hall of Fame. It's pretty cool. Uh, you know, these guys that I watched as part of my childhood, finally getting to see the recognition that they deserve. I agree. And, um, you know, it's a, I feel like this uh, ceremony came across at the right time because if they would have done it years ago, it wouldn't have been as impactful because wrestling really boomed in the 80s. And, um, you know, it started way before that, but then it really excelled in the 90s during that Attitude Era. Mm-hmm. And we're now at the point where these guys are in their Hall of Fame status. Um, so we're going to go through. <clears throat> we'll start with the 2020 class, and then we'll go into the 2021 class. This year is a little special because of the pandemic of last year. We actually didn't get to have a 2020 ceremony, so we're actually going to put both of those into one ceremony this year, WrestleMania week. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Hall of Fame will be airing this Tuesday on April 6th, where we'll get to honor these legends. And we are going to go through each one, and then what I'd like to do is get your thoughts and perspective. We'll go through, we'll highlight some of their career moments, some of their best and worst, just for fun, and then some of their accolades, and we'll kind of decide, hey, are they a top Hall of Fame class, or are they kind of a middle, you know, B-level, C-level Hall of Famer? Yeah, sounds great. Let's do it, man. All right, let's start right in. So we're going to start with the class of 2020. And without further ado, let's go ahead and transition in. Our first Hall of Fame candidates are the NWO, the New World Order. The New World Order came on the scene in the late 90s, and it was actually in WCW where Scott Hall, who was Razor Ramon at the time, entered into WCW as his real name, Scott Hall, Mm -hmm. and it was this WWF invasion on WCW. And he said, we're coming. And then he introduced Kevin Nash, who was Diesel in the WWF. And next thing you know, and at the time, there was not really a lot of internet chatter. So we thought this was real. Mm -hmm. And then from there, there was a mystery third man at the Bastion Beach pay-per-view in 1998. And we all didn't know who it was. And they took on WCW superstars and the NWO. Of course, they weren't called the NWO yet. Just Hall and Nash were showed up, and their mystery man didn't show up yet. And there was a point in the match, and I'll never forget, and I was such 
such a fool because I seen Hawk Hogan coming down the, the aisle to save everybody. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, Hawk Hogan's going to save them. And the next thing you know, Hawk Hogan. Ultimate heel turn. Ultimate heel turn. And it just shocked the world because Hawk Hogan, you know, for you and I in our childhoods, was everything that was good. Mm-hmm. And you could not even fathom a world where Hawk Hogan was evil. So. Right. And that's how the NWO was formed. And I remember the fans throwing trash in the ring. Yep, I remember that too. I remember that episode. And I remember he uh, basically was like, this represents all of you fans, you're trash. And that's when Hollywood Hogan yes. got existed. Yes. And he did it all for the money. And so that's how I remember the NWO starting. What do you remember about the NWO? Well, yeah, I remember, you know, you have Diesel. Kevin Nash was kind of a low-card to mid-card wrestler in WWF back then. And then he kind of made the move with Scott Hall to come over to WCW. And Scott Hall, I think everyone was like, wow, Razor Ramon is now Scott Hall, WCW. This is interesting what's going on. There's a lot of mystery between the the team up and they're attacking WCW wrestlers. A lot of paranoia. Is there a... You know, WWF kind of takeover coming, no one really knew. And then as you mentioned, the same thing, kind of piggyback off what you said. Hulk Hogan was the ultimate child icon. Every child in the 80s and even early 90s loved Hulk Hogan. Basically, for you youngsters listening in, it'd be like if John Cena were to head to AEW or somewhere else right now uh, in Ring of Honor and just become the villain right out of the gate. It was just a mind-blowing kind of event that happened in WCW because you never thought you would see Hulk Hogan turn evil. You know, and I love that you brought up the John Cena comparison because I tell people all the time, John Cena is the modern day Hulk Hogan. Mm -hmm. He's the guy that's going to build those future fans like we are today. Um, With this being the NWO, they're honoring Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, and Hulk Hogan. And they've added uh, six into this, Mm -hmm. which also known as X-Pac in the WWF. Yep. And Sean, Waltman. and Sean Waltman. So they've added him into this as well. He was a part of the NWO, but he came a few months later yeah. when he came over. And there were a lot of other members of the NWO too. This thing got huge. Um, what other members stick out to you as members of the NWO? Oh, man. Well, Big Show, back then he was called The Giant, right? Um, I'm trying to think, too. Did Eric Bischoff kind of get involved with the NWO for a little bit, too? Eric Bischoff actually was um, the creator of the NWO. That's right. And he, at first, was kind of against them, and then mm-hmm. he flipped and joined them yeah. and became their biggest you know, money and manager yeah. and assets. And DDP later on joined them. Um, but then I love the rivalry with the NWO and the man by the <clears throat> name of Sting. His rival, their rivalry with Sting was great. I mean, it was great because it dragged on for years. And then finally at the end, I think they finally got Sting to join as an honorary member right before they broke up. Yeah, so what happened was after, it seemed after a while, this NWO thing got so big. And they had their own referees. Mm -hmm. And it was almost a, a dual company. And it took over WCW. And what happened was they started just adding members. And they told the locker room, either join us or against us. And they had guys, like you said, um, Paul White, The Big Show, which was the giant back then. And they actually had guys like um, DDP joined for a little bit, and then he flipped on them and became kind of the face of WCW. Um, There was a situation. I mean, they had Booker T at one point. They had pretty much a lot of these guys you can think of from the upper to lower card. And what I think is interesting, they even spawned the NWO thought and started having NWO Japan. And they started having uh, LWO, which was the Latino World Order, and Eddie Guerrero and Rey Mysterio, and they kind of did that. So this thing really did become kind of a monster mega heel of the industry. 
Um, and with this, I feel like it spawned other great competition with the WWF. I mean, this is kind of their DX was the answer to the NWO because everybody was watching the NWO and they left the WWF to watch the NWO yes. and WCW. So um, there's a lot of guys that can be included in this. They have chosen to add Hogan. We're going to say Sean Walkman, a.k.a. Six, mm-hmm. and which I loved how they came up with his name yeah. because he was the one, two, three kid in WWF. And so one plus two plus three, yeah. Yeah. six. Exactly. Very and clever. then Nash and Hall. So this was the core of the group. Years later, I don't know if you remember, then when they had NWO uh, Wolfpack and NWO Black and White. I didn't like it as much, but yeah, I remember. They were like over-marketing at that yes. point. And that's when they got Sting. And, mm-hmm. and can I just add real yeah. quick about NWO? I really believe that NWO is one of the reasons why WCW really got into it with, into the Monday Night Wars with WWE Raw. Because Raw had DX at the time, Shawn Michaels and um, Triple H. Yeah. And then, you know, WCW had NWO. So, you know, it was <laughs> a fan of, uh, of wrestling in the late 90s. Like, holy crap, do I watch Nitro? Do I watch Raw? And you can really attribute Nitro success to the NWO. Yeah, and I I flipped through channels, Mm -hmm. and I was a diehard WWF guy, but WCW and, honestly, the NWO made me stop watching WWF for a while because I had to choose. It wasn't like it was streaming like it is today where you could watch one now and watch one later. You had to choose what channel you're turning on. They were pioneers in the... uh, in the Monday Night Wars, and then Eric Bischoff had to screw up and tell everyone Mick Foley was going to win the WWF title, and then that pretty much was the downfall of WCW. Yeah, and that Isn't was, that crazy? That was crazy because he, he definitely, with Bischoff, and I heard Bischoff actually came up with the NWO concept through a similar faction in Japan that he's seen. You know, and, and they always imitate each other. But right, right, and, make, and stick around, too, because they have some other Eric Bischoff cool factors that a lot of people don't know about him. So, awesome. Because we'll talk about him later. Do you have anything on the NWO? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, you know, Hulk Hogan, you know, it was so awesome to see him turn heel. Hollywood Hogan, it was just, it was awesome because, again, you never thought you would see him as a villain. And he was a great villain. He used the belt. He would beat guys with the, the belt that he would wear. What's that? The weightlifting belt. What's that called? Oh, yeah, you know, the weightlifting his belt. His famous weightlifting yeah. belt that he would wear. Um, I love the fact that, you know, he turned his beard black underneath the famous uh, handlebar uh, blonde, you know. And that was just, I love the black outlook for NWO. But the thing I love about NWO is when WWE purchased WCW, they brought them back and used them in the invasion kind of headline, yep. you know. And then they had the infamous Hogan versus Rock. They used that NWO kind of branding into that match. And that match there turned Hulk Hogan back into the good guy. Yeah, and I remember, um, and it's weird because when you think WCW, you think NWO, but you're absolutely right. There was a point that the NWO then invaded WWF, and it led to that legendary WrestleMania 18 match between yes. Rock and Hogan. Favorites. Yes, and that was amazing. And a fun story that actually was meant to be Hogan versus Stone Cold Steve Austin. Hmm. And what happened was Austin they couldn't argue, they couldn't decide on who was going to get the win. And so, basically, it ended up, they shifted The Rock into that spot. And if you noticed, Austin didn't want to lose that match. So, they actually had him fight Scott Hall at Mania. So, they actually kind of had to rewrite some of that storyline. 
and uh, but it was originally supposed to be Hogan and Austin. But I love Hogan Rock. Well, well, no one no one remembers Stone Cold versus Scott Hall. I mean, it's the Rock and Hogan show. They stole what was even the main event because that wasn't even the main event that year, right? It was not. The main event was actually Triple H defending the title against Chris Jericho with Stephanie McMahon in his corner. I see. I did not even remember that. I mean, the only thing I can remember is Rock versus Hogan. Yeah. And I mean, and that was funny too because WWE at the time was pushing Hogan because he was part of NWO and they were the bad guys. They were pushing him to be the villain, but more people in Toronto were cheering for Hogan because of his legacy in the eighties. Yeah. So I'm not trying to get off topic. We're no, just talking right. about Hulk Hogan. But real quick, I want to add too. Kevin Nash is very underrated. He was one of the, you know, he was one of the architects of this group. I know Hogan and Hall get all the credit, but I also love Kevin Nash because I mean he also kind of branched out and he was also a very dominant force. He was the muscle of the group. He was. And then uh Kevin Nash actually he's had a pretty good little career outside mm-hmm. of wrestling as well. Um, he's dabbled in the movie industry a little bit. So not a lot of people know this, but if you remember the Ninja Turtles 2 movie, um, Nash was actually Super Shredder in that movie at a very young age. Huh. And so he actually played Super Shredder in the Ninja Turtles movie. Wow. And he also was in Punisher, and he played a role in that, uh, the Russian, actually. Um, so he's had a little bit of a career where he's kind of had these small bit roles in movies. Right. But again, it just brought brand recognition back to wrestling. And then in solo career, I think my his biggest accomplishment, which this will piss a lot of Goldberg fans off, but he was the guy that ended the streak. Kevin Nash, correct? It is. It was. Yeah. Now, was he the guy that ended the streak, or was it Scott Hall with the cattle prod that ended the streak? You're going to use that. <laughs> you got to give Kevin Nash the credit he deserves. Not I'm the cattle Nash prod? Fan. No. Okay. We're going to go Nash ended Goldberg's famous streaks. Okay. So the, for the record... One tap out talk. You heard it first. The cattle prod did not end the Goldberg nah. streak. It was Kevin Nash who yep. got the pin. Yep. Um, so it's interesting. I want to give a note about Sean Waltman too. He actually was in DX and NWO and one of the few members that actually branded into both. So Yeah, I mean, he was the high flyer. He was the little mouthy guy. I mean, let's, let's be honest. He's the runt of the litter. I'm not trying to... To, to downgrade him or anything, but I was never a big Sean Walton Sean Waltman fan. I know that a lot of people liked him as X Pac, but um, he was just kind of the the high flyer in the mouth of the group. Because if you look at it, Scott Hall was okay on the mic. Kevin Nash was never the greatest until Hulk Hogan came around. He kind of had to carry the the load, and especially later when Hulk Hogan would kind of separate from the group. Very true. So he was the mic specialist. So I get the feeling that we are definitely saying these guys are a first-class oh, yeah. ballot Hall of Fame inductees. Yeah. So, and, and you know the fun fact: yeah. all four of these guys are now two-time inductees into the WWE Hall of Fame. Okay. Yeah. So now let me think. We got Hulk Hogan in mm-hmm. on his own. We've got and now with NWO, we've got Sean Waltman with DX mm-hmm. and NWO. Yep. Are the other two also in there? On what level? Solo. Uh, Solo? Kev- Kevin Nash is in Solo two years ago, right? Okay. Two years ago, 18, I believe. Okay. Correct me if I'm wrong. And then, hey, yo, Scott Hall, Razor Ramon. He got, you're right, Razor Ramon inductee. Um, and he had a great line in that Hall of Fame where uh, it was something along the lines of bad guys live forever. Yes. It was a great line. I loved it. I'll have to go back and watch that. So um, that is everything that I wanted to cover on NWO. You as well? Loved them, yes. I, I, the great group. Um, you know, I know X or uh, the Four Horsemen, DX, 
and now NWO. Congratulations to NWO, the New World Order. Definitely well-deserved, definitely first ballot, Mm -hmm. and a lot of great memories. So we thank the New World Order. Let's go to our next inductee. So JBL, or John Bradshaw Layfield. JBL first came onto the WWF wrestling scene as simply Justin, or excuse me, uh, Justin Justin Bradshaw, Justin Hawk Bradshaw. Mm-hmm. Took me a while to remember that. It was so long ago. So he actually um, had really long hair. He had kind of this southern Texaner type vibe. It didn't work well. And he kind of struggled there in that lower card. And you're like, okay, and he had a big rope and he would tie some people up with it. And then he eventually stuck around. And the longer you stay around this industry, the better you get and the more opportunities you get. And he evolved himself and he dropped the name Hawk Bradshaw and just became um, Bradshaw. Mm-hmm. And then when he actually got paired up with Ron Simmons and the Acolytes, I feel like that tag team is where he really started to flourish under the guidance of Ron Simmons. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then at that point, they had a great run in the late 90s as the Acolytes. And they were like a paid-for-hire tag team that would beat APA. up other guys. The APA, the mm-hmm. Acolyte Protection Agency. Yes. And then from there... He kind of went away, and he came back, and he was clean-shaven. Boom. They just threw him right in there, yep. And his jet black hair was now all cut and short, and he had a suit and a cowboy hat on. And he basically the story was he went and hit it rich with all this financial investments, and in which he actually in real life is yeah. very smart when it comes to money. And he came back and was JBL, and he had a big limo with big bullhorns on the front. And this is where they really pushed him to the main event. And I remember when he beat Eddie Guerrero for the title at, um, I believe it was Unforgiven. Mm-hmm. And it was a heck of a bloody match. And then they went on and JBL was born and he was almost, well, I'll talk about my comparison for him in a minute. But what do you remember of JBL? JBL, you know, you hit it right on the head. He, This is just amazing. I'm so proud of JBL because he went from a legendary tag team wrestler with the Acolytes in the APA 11-time tag team champion, which is pretty awesome, I mean, to hit double digits. And then, like you said, he went away, he came back, and whoever, I don't know if he came up with this idea or whoever came up with this idea with the creative, but to throw him in there, he was just a great villain. And in the end, when it was all said and done, he became a wrestling god, as he always used to say. I love that. I love JBL. I'm, you know, I'm one of those guys that always favors the heels, Brian. And he changed the heel sport for me because you hated him so much. I mean, he, especially John Cena fans, hated this man. He did such a great job of being snobby, being just nasty, cheating. Uh, and as you mentioned, that match with Eddie Guerrero was phenomenal. And he ended up holding the belt for over a year, I believe 14 months or so, yeah. until he lost it to John Cena. And that, in that modern day, that was a bigger title reign. Mm-hmm. He um, Memorable matches that stick out to me. I remember the Eddie Guerrero match, which was just a fabulous match. Um, And then I also remember there was a match at a No Way Out pay-per-view with The Big Show. And it was a steel cage match, and the top was barbed wired. And the idea was JBL had a stable at the time. It included, like, Orlando Jordan as his chief of staff and a couple other guys. Uh, The Bashams were, like, his protection. Mm -hmm. And basically... Jillian Hall was his sidekick, right? Yes, Jillian Hall was his uh, manager... And then um, I remember the idea was, well, nobody can interfere, and he can't get out Mm -hmm. of the cage. And that was a whole big thing. 
uh, because he just was tormenting the big show for, you know, months. So JBL definitely, one thing it reminded me of, his gimmick when he came up with this, it reminded me of a modern-day million-dollar man, mm-hmm. Ted DiBiase. So, you know, without the suit, and that was a legendary iconic, and they just put a modern twist on it. And he was that Texas guy that went to New York, which is just taboo, and made all this money. And so he really knew how to get heat. Um, and from what I gather, he, he was a bit of a jerk in real life, too. So I, I've heard a lot of backstage, you know, just antics. If the shoe fits, they'll wear it, right? And he just embraced it and said, yeah, I am a jerk. And uh, Vince McMahon just loves him. Mm-hmm. And um, I've heard of some of the pranks that he's pulled on some of the younger talent, ribbing them a little. Um one guy talked the story of how JBL, when they were out of the country, threw away his passport, and he couldn't get out of the country. Mm-hmm. And so he definitely was uh, quite the prankster behind the scenes and uh, knew how to just kind of give it to the rookies a little bit. What else do you remember about JBL? Well, yeah, you say Ted DiBiase. That's a great comparison, but a lot of people are going to be mad at me. <clears throat> but I think he has a little bit of Ric Flair in him, too. He has that... You know, look at me, show up in a limo, you know, just high style, very snobby. Um, if you, you know, you can hate me, I don't care. He embraced that jerk role like Ric Flair had. He also would cheat to win. So he has a little bit of Ric Flair in him, too. You know, I've never heard that comparison, but he is the Texas Ric Flair. Yeah, pretty much. I'd be interested to see if I have any commenters from Texas that give us that thought because well, I do like that. And you know the one the one thing that was always kind of disappointed was they kind of abandoned his major heel push early. Um, I say I say that because he had that one title reign. It was for what fourteen months, but John Cena kind of buried him. And ever since then, I was kind of upset with Vince McMahon because I really think they ruined him. And then he ended up losing to Rey Mysterio for the IC championship at WrestleMania 25 in like 20 seconds, and I was really upset. And I think that was his departure from the company where he went off and did his own kind of thing with Fox News and all that. So. They, um, I actually, there, yeah, they finally, he went off and started doing money with Fox News, which, mm-hmm. you know, that's another influence is outside of wrestling, mm-hmm. he was influential. He had his own, um, I believe it was on Fox or MSN. No, it was Fox. Was yeah. it Fox? Mm-hmm. Money, where he had a, his own financial show. Mm-hmm. Um, I, True story, I actually have his book at home, and I've read it. It's on financials. It talks a little wrestling, but it also talks financials just because I enjoyed the character. Right. Um, he did come back uh, as an announcer for WWE. and Yes. So he's done a lot of announcer work with the company. Yes. And he also, one of my favorite segments, he would appear in these segments, and it was a Saturday night's main event when they started to reboot that. And he had a beer drinking contest with Stone Cold Steve Austin. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, vaguely. And he was cheating, of course. And he's like, oh, no, we're doing it Texas rules. And he made all these rules. And he basically, they had to drink with their backs turned. And he was just pouring the beer down his chest. And then, of course, Stone Cold caught him. And you know how that ended. So Stone Cold had his way with him. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I do remember that vaguely. That was really cool. Um, he was just the perfect heel, you know. I, I hate to sound like a broken record, but he's got a little DiBiase, a little flair in him. Um, real quick, can I go over the accolades? Real Absolutely, quick? please. He is a, a Grand Slam champion. Won the tag team champions. He won the um, WWE championship. He's won the Intercontinental Championship. So he's got that Grand Slam title, which is cool. A one-time WWE championship, which, in my opinion, he should have more reigns. Um, and then 18-time Hardcore Champion. Wow. 
And I didn't realize that. Yeah, he probably picked up that title quite a bit. Well, remember, the hardcore <laughs> championship used to be a 24-hour championship, too. So that's probably a few of his reigns. So he'd pick up a few there. That's true, when they had that 24-7 rule. Um, JBL, so definitely Hall of Fame candidate. Um, he's done so much in the business. He's evolved his character around the company. He's influenced outside of the world of wrestling with the financial world. And he even did some commentary. And so he's had a wide career. So definitely we honor that. And JBL is the latest induction into the 2020 Class of Hall of Fame. Yes, yes. He, he was a great commentator, too. Very underrated commentator. Commentator, I can't talk. I kind of wish he was on Raw today because Raw's commentary is absolutely awful. But that's another subject. But, yeah, <laughs> JBL is a great commentator. But... I don't think this is going to be the last time we see JBL inducted JBL inducted into the Hall of Fame because I think him and Ron Simmons are going to get inducted here very shortly. In the next few years, okay. you'll see the APA in there. They were a good tag team, and I, mm-hmm. I would agree with you. It would be interesting to see him as a two-time. Yep. Um, as a commentator, I, I honestly, there was times where I enjoyed his work, but there was also times where some of his references were a little outdated. And I, I always would like say, man, he just needs to attach to that younger, newer audience because he would make some references from the 70s. And I'm like, what's he talking about? You know, and, and that was even before my time. And that's quite some years ago. So but his banter with Michael Cole was priceless, though. Oh, yeah. Those two were great together. They were. So JBL in the 2020 Hall of, Cla- Hall of Fame class. And yes. let's go to our next candidate. Or should I say candidates? The Bella Twins. Now, some people will either love or hate this induction. Let me give you a little bit of the Bella Twins' background in the industry. They, twin sisters, got signed during the Diva era. And at first, they just kind of, they came into wrestling when wrestling, women's wrestling wasn't really as recognized. Mm-hmm. There's been great women's wrestlers, but they were on the lower end. And when I first seen them, I was like, oh, great, here we go again. Two twins, the WWE likes the twins, and they're just supermodels that want to try to be famous. Because unfortunately, in this world of sports entertainment, there are a lot of girls that just want to be famous, and they just, like, I can go do that. I got to give it to these girls. Now, they are very strategic, and they have attached themselves into the business, though. And um, Brie Bell actually is now married to uh, Daniel Bryan. Brian Danielson. Or Brian Danielson, but yeah, Daniel Bryan, the wrestler. Yep. And um, Nikki Bella dated John Cena for the longest time. So what they did was they connected themselves to two important wrestlers that knew the industry and that were really important to the WWE model. And so what they did was they kind of attached themselves. And some people would say that is, you know, a networking aspect. But the reality is, you know, when you're traveling from town to town, your dating options aren't really there for the normal life. So um, one thing I've also enjoyed about the Bella Twins um, they started out learning how to wrestle, and I think they knew they weren't the best wrestlers. And they had their twin magic, you know, where they would do the sister swap thing and mm-hmm. they would bounce out of the ring, and that was good for a little bit. But they've really kind of learned how to wrestle within their lane, and they didn't try to go outside that lane and try to be extreme or hardcore, which I see some girls that they just try to do anything and it doesn't work. Uh, what do you remember from the Bella Twins? And we'll kind of talk back and forth. Yeah, I want to piggyback what you just said. They really started out, they were not very good wrestlers. Um, they were there for the supermodel look in the beginning, but then especially Nikki really improved her wrestling and became the John Cena of the women's division, and she is the longest reigning 
uh, champion in the women's division, and she is a two-time diva or women's champion, as they call it. Now, Brie did end up winning the, the belt, I believe, one time. But, yeah, Nikki really improved her wrestling. She was really... She was really very green, and she really worked hard too. And I th and she even acknowledged her time with John Cena, really helping her uh, her develop her wrestling game. He really helped her and inspired her. So. Yeah, and um, you know, I think like once one thing they had the mind for sports entertainment. Mm -hmm. They didn't have the minds for wrestling, and I know that's two different worlds, right? They knew how to stay, like I said, in that lane for wrestling, but they really had sports entertainment brains and one thing i got to give them credit is these are business women mm -hmm. they know how to market they're always doing their own clothing line or thinking about ways they can actually branch out and do all this stuff that brings attention to the wwe so if i was to base off their wrestling careers and they did get better as they went along but honestly i think they're hall of fame candidates just for their work with total divas yes yes they're marketing with total divas and then that kind of blossomed into their spin-off total bellas so yeah I, and i think that's why vince mcmahon appreciates them everything that he's done for his uh, that they've done for his company um not just in the ring but outside the ring yeah i 100% agree um i really think though that they both I, the thing I love about the Bellas, again, they ch they knew that their gimmick was getting stale, so they really changed, and they broke them up. <laughs> yeah, they did break them up, and I remember that they um, kind of did the individual single career for a minute, yes. and then they brought them back together. That was the best thing that could ever happen to Nikki Bella, though, when they broke up the Bella Twins, because it really changed her... Um, wrestling abilities again John Cena really helping her and I believe Dusty Rhodes as well I read online that he really helped uh, before the great late Dusty Rhodes passed away kind of helped her with her wrestling improvement as well so the um, one thing I like when they broke them up was it gave them so they were the twins right and they were just kind of bonded by that and then when they broke up and split off into singles careers they each got their own identity mm -hmm. But it wasn't so different that they couldn't merge them back together. And I thought that was huge. I wanted to talk about the Total Divas and the, and the Bellas show because people either love it or they hate it. Your traditional wrestling fans hate it. They're like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe the WWE is doing reality shows. I'm actually a huge fan of those shows. I enjoy watching them. And the reason I feel like those shows themselves are Hall of Fame worthy is because, one, it brought attention to women's wrestling. And, two... It brought outside attention to the WWE. So great example I give is um, my wife. Not a huge pro wrestling fan like she watches. She's definitely very educated in it, mostly because I talk about it. But she really ultimately will watch Total Divas. All of a sudden now that wrestling is a reality show about women, she's in. And she's like, oh, we got to watch Total Divas. I'm on season – she's like on season nine. I'm on season three or four. Right. Um, so I feel that is definitely worth the Hall of Fame nod. Do you watch Total Divas and Total Bellas or I, – I used to when it was in its heyday. I think it's a little stale now for me personally. But, yes, I did really enjoy it a lot. But that is a great point that the Bellas brought in a different clientele to the sport. Women who ended up watching that show, maybe one night bored, flipping channels – turned on Total Divas, like, wow, this is really entertaining, and then started watching WWE. That was a brilliant move by Creative and the, and the Bella Twins yep. to really bring in a whole new audience. And they were huge behind the and advocating for that. Mm -hmm. They um, actually, and I think about it because it did bring so many, because, again, my wife, she will now, when I'm watching a pay-per-view, she'll watch 
any of the Divas matches because she's connected to these characters. And that's a great way for the WWE to connect people. And I, some people are going to get really mad at me for saying this, but I do think that the Bella Twins paved the road for the women's division that we have now. Now, don't laugh, okay? okay. Because I'm talking to some of these, you know, these fans that are probably listening saying, oh, come on, give me a break. That was Trish Stratus. Yes, it was, but the Bellas also kind of helped pave the way to where you have WrestleMania 35 main evented WrestleMania that was Ronda Rousey, uh, Becky Lynch, and Charlotte Flair. Mm-hmm. I don't think you had that match without the Bella Twins. I don't know what you think about that, but so I feel the Bella Twins. Yeah, I feel the Bella Twins got eyes on the product. Mm -hmm. I feel like I said you have the women's wrestlers Mm -hmm. and you have divas, and divas is not a bad term. People say it's a bad term, and they kind of give it this conversation of it, but it's really not that bad. So you have women wrestlers like Charlotte Flair, Becky Lynch, and then you have the divas like the Bellas and. you know, quite a few others that they have on there. And so I look at it as those worlds do cross over into each other. They pave the way for the women's revolution. I really do believe that. And it brings more eyes on the product, especially female eyes on the product. So I look at the Bellas as I do call them sports entertainers. Mm-hmm. They are the definition of sports and entertainment because of all the reality show work and bringing eyes to the product. But they definitely um, – then there are your traditional women wrestlers. Um, Trish Stratus – you know, I won't go all into her Hall of Fame career, but she definitely was one of the most iconic ones in a time where that wasn't popular, and she learned to become a pro wrestler, and I think that's why a lot of people respect her. But the Bella Twins definitely, um, they had a lot of tag team championships among them um, later on, and then what else did they do in their careers? Oh, like I mentioned before, uh, Brie won the Divas Championship once. And then Nikki won it twice, and and she is still, to this day, the longest reigning women's champion um, in WWE history. And she passed uh, uh, the exiled AJ Lee. I was a huge AJ Lee fan. I feel like AJ was one of those behind the scenes that actually fought for the Divas Revolution. Unfortunately, I think that's gotten kind of wiped out of the history a little Mm -hmm. bit. And that shine kind of went on to Nikki a little more. But I think AJ was very important in kind of driving this as well. But the Bellas were definitely a huge part of this. I'll be curious to see if Nikki uh, acknowledges John Cena in her speech. So You know, it, it's a shame because um, we had a whole WrestleMania spot on a proposal for those two to get married. And I think that was real, though, that whole relationship. I think it was a little... Fabricated? Hollywood. Yeah, Hollywood thrown in there, yeah. You know, I wanted to believe it. And sometimes suspension is disbelief when you watch sports entertaining. So I went ahead and suspended my disbelief and said, Oh my gosh, they got engaged. And... Mm-hmm. Um, my daughter was mad because she had – she's going to hate me for saying this, but she has the hugest crush on John Cena. And she was mad when that happened. So um, any other final thoughts on the Bella Twins? No, you know, I mean, I think I've said everything. Congratulations uh, to both of them. They're both uh, very uh, worthy, I believe. There's, In my opinion, there's no question they deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. Definitely. Congratulations to the Bella Twins. Let's move to our next inductees. All right, every year the WWE has their Hall of Fame celebrity wing. Um, Again, I kind of look at this as the WrestleMania mindset. When WrestleMania first started, it was meant to be the mix of both worlds, entertainers and pro wrestlers. And at WrestleMania 1, they had Mr. T and Hawk Hogan, right? Mm -hmm. So they had this um, mix of both worlds, and Muhammad Ali was involved, and... 
Cindy Lauper and all that in the initial WrestleMania. So it was rock and wrestling mixed together, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, the Hall of Fame celebrity wing, and people are mixed on this. I look at it as we're honoring people that have helped push the WWE industry outside of the WWE. I um, great inductees that come to mind. I, I like it when the guys are very guys and girls are very involved in the product. So when I think of past inductees, Mr. T, even though that was uh, one of the worst Hall of Fame speeches, and he kept talking about his mama, but he was um, they yeah, had, yeah they cut him off actually and started playing the. Uh, uh, the A-Team music <laughs> a couple times. and yeah. so, But he was worthy because he was involved. Mm-hmm. Um, when I think of guys, you know, Donald Trump had some very memorable WrestleMania matches um, and the hair versus hair match at WrestleMania 23. Very iconic. And a lot of people, you know, don't know this, but WrestleMania wouldn't have survived without Donald Trump because WrestleMania um, 4 and 5, when WrestleMania was starting to decline, Donald actually gave them his uh venue in vegas and basically said hey go ahead and take my venue and atlantic just, city you mean in atlantic city yeah and he basically gave them the venue mm-hmm. and said look i understand you're struggling right now because him and vince are friends and he said go ahead and just use my venue and just pay my staff mm-hmm. and we'll be good and so a lot of people you know don't give them that credit so i feel like yeah those guys do belong in the hall of fame is trump in the celebrity wing he is in the celebrity okay. wing a few years ago okay. so but yeah let's get on to uh Mr. Shatner. So, William Shatner, when they announced this, I'm not going to lie, I had to go do some research because I couldn't remember him being memorable in the WWE. Now, I do remember the TV series Breaking Ground on the WWE Mm -hmm. Network, and it's been a while since I've seen it, so I almost forgot he was the host of that. And then I do remember him showing up once or twice and interviewing Jerry Lawler, Mm -hmm. but what do you remember of William Shatner? Can I say this? I've always wanted to say this. Okay. Space. The final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Okay, now that I got that out of my out of my uh, way, I'm a huge Trekkie, by the way. I love William Shatner, so I'm excited just from a Star Trek uh, fan perspective. But from the WWE, yeah, it's very controversial. He only really had one memorable appearance as the guest host of Raw in 2010. And as you mentioned, he was the narrator of Breaking Ground on WWE Network. Um in all honesty, Brian, it could be that uh, they're a little thin right now and they're celebrities. And I mean, in all honesty, who doesn't love William Shatner, though? Even if you weren't a Star Trek fan, he's been in a bunch of other stuff and he's really funny. So I think his speech will be very uh, entertaining, to say the least. And he is also the face of Michael Myers in Halloween. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. They based that. that mask off of William Shatner, which that's I always hilarious. thought was interesting. That's hilarious. So, um, Celebrity Wing, welcome William Shatner. Let's move ahead. Our next inductee is Jushin Thunder Liger. Now, if you only watch the WWE product, you will not really know Jushin Thunder Liger. He has had one match in NXT, and that's about it. Mm-hmm. So if you search him on the network, you're not going to find too much in the WWE brand. But this is what I like about the WWE Hall of Fame, is they honor the wrestling industry and people that have influenced it. And Jushin Thunder Liger outside the WWE definitely influenced professional wrestling. He is a staple in Japan, and everybody knows who he is over there. And he's wrestled for a very, very long time. He did have a pretty good run and stint in WCW as well, because when WCW started signing all these guys from Mexico and Japan, they brought in Jushin Liger. Um, He's also appeared in Ring of Honor, 
um, Impact. Um, he had a really fun match with Samoa Joe, I remember, also. Um, so, great wrestler. He's wrestled Rey Mysterio. He's wrestled the Guerreros, um, Juventude, and Eddie. Um, so, Jushin Thunder Liger, definitely a Japanese legend, and I believe does belong in a Hall of Fame. I love when they honor people in that big capacity because now it's not just the WWE fabricated hall of fame. It feels more like a wrestling hall of fame. Your thoughts on Jushin? Yeah. You know, I think I'm just going to really briefly say this, you know how the NFL has their wing of people who inspired the game or brought a lot of, um, um, brought a lot of for, uh, yeah, inspiration to the, to the game of football. This is WWE's kind of, um, uh, what am I trying to say? Um, He's he's he was influ he was an influence on other wrestlers around the maybe on the current roster and I think a lot of people look up to him and he's just one of those inspirational guys and that's why I think he got the nod for the Hall of Fame he's well respected in the wrestling community absolutely and if you have not seen a Jushin Liger match you're missing out I would recommend just searching on WWE Network and watch a couple of those matches because he's got a unique style it's almost like a anime superhero in a sense, um, that is a wrestler. So congratulations to the Hall of Fame, Jushin Thunder Liger. Let's go to the next inductee. Our final inductee in the class of 2020, the late, great British Bulldog Davey Boy Smith. I remember Davey Boy Smith coming into the WWE in the 80s and watching him with a tag team called the British Bulldogs with the Dynamite Kid as his partner. And... He had a really great career with him. It was a good, solid tag teams. And I you know, sometimes feel like they don't build tag teams like that anymore, where they look like a team, they dress like a team, and they had the whole England vibe going on. And you just loved watching these guys. The Bulldog then later broke off into a bit of a singles career. I remember him having a really great feud with Shawn Michaels when Shawn Michaels was champion. Um, and he even got his wife involved, who is Diana Hart, who actually is Bret Hart's sister. So Bulldog is in that Hart family, uh, that legendary Hart family by marriage. So, um, and there was a whole, you know, angle with Shawn Michaels, which um, it was In Your House, Beware of Dog was the title. And it was him getting a couple title matches at Shawn Michaels' title. And then um, I also remember him going to WCW a little bit, having a few matches there. And then he came back to WWE and had a nice little run with the Hart Foundation stable with Brett and Owen and so forth. What do you remember about Davey Boy? Well, you know, I think the earliest memory I can uh, think of is your uh, you mentioned before Shawn Michaels, the rivalry with him. He was on the wrong side of history. If you remember, Shawn Michaels became the first man to win the Royal Rumble at number one, and they had that infamous uh, Rumble match where he thought he eliminated Shawn Michaels, and you know, only one foot had hit the ground for Shawn Michaels as he's hanging on the top rope. And Davy Boy thought he won the Royal Rumble, which would have been great for him. You know, it's it's a shame, but. Shawn Michaels came back and won that match, but I remember that moment. That was a great wrestling moment, and I think it's still and arguably one of the top 100 greatest moments in WWE history, I would think. Um, and then for me, I don't remember him in WCW, but I remember more of his second stint, Brian, um, when he had a huge rivalry with The Rock in late 99. Okay. Um, I remember that. That was really entertaining, and I actually got to see him perform live at No Mercy in 99. And we had some uh, memorable moments there, but I don't know if you want to kind of talk more about Actually, that. let's go in there. You actually have a pretty good memorable moment 
personally with Davy Boy Smith, the British Bulldog. Not me, but my cousin. Okay, your cousin. So my family, my uh, my cousins, and my best friend Phil, we all went up to the '99 No Mercy show. Um, at the time, we were in touch with a, a wrestler who I'll name, who will be. Uh, I won't divulge. I can't talk right now who the wrestler is. But anyways, we were at No Mercy. And we had tickets. We were ringside. We were right there as the ring meets the entrance ramp. There are perfect seats where the wrestlers would come out front row. And uh, my my cousin hated the Bulldog because he was such Jason. He was such a rock fan. I mean, who didn't love the rock fan? Right. And normally, I kind of, at that time, in the Attitude Era, I kind of leaned towards the um, villains like Triple H. Love Triple H. But when it came to the rock... I always loved The Rock. I just loved he was the people's champ. So he was facing the Bulldog in a match. And I remember that and that, that rivalry was nasty. I mean, they I, at one point, The Rock made him. He beat him up, the Bulldog, and made him eat dog poop. Well, fake dog poop on <laughs> Raw. I remember that. But when he faced him at No Mercy, he came out. We were all booing him. And my cousin, he's going to yell at me if he listens to this, but he flips off the British Bulldog, and if you go and you watch that old pay-per-view on the network or Peacock or whatever, the 99 No Mercy, Bulldog kind of gives like a, a weird look at this fan, and he flips off a fan. That's my cousin who he's flipping off on That's the show, hilarious. and it was just hilarious. We made fun of my cousin the whole night, and it was an awesome night, and he lost to The Rock, but I remember that uh, moment about uh, David Boy. I do, and um, that's hilarious. The And I liked the story you mentioned a minute ago about, you know, that number one and number two entrance in the Rumble. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people forget he did last just as long as Shawn Michaels, mm-hmm. but like you said, I like how you worded it, wrong side of history. Mm-hmm. Um, and he didn't get enough credit for that. The other most memorable match that Davey Boy ever gave me was he was in the main event of SummerSlam, and, and it was against Bret Hart, and it was in England in Wembley Stadium. And he basically, it was for the Intercontinental title, and it was unheard of that the Intercontinental title would actually take the main event last spot over the world title. And it was him and Bret Hart, and they put on a brilliant masterpiece match to this day. I mean, it's up there in at least the top 10 of matches of all time. And it was weird because I remember Bret Hart reading in his book and hearing some documentaries, he really wanted that match for Davey, and he wanted that match... Um, he wanted that match to be so amazing because he wanted to help elevate. And that match did help elevate Brett and Davey mm-hmm. to the point, and they had that stadium was packed. Yeah, exactly. Um, and a lot of people forget they're going to be like, well, why is the British Bulldog in the Hall of Fame? Isn't he like the Godfather or Coco Beware? And I said, no, because he was such an influence to the UK fan base. He was their wrestler, he was their champion at the time. And, you know, he was also a part of the Hart Foundation. Yes. I mean, the Hart Dynasty Foundation, you know, Bret Hart and all those guys in the Hart Dungeon and everything. And his son, actually, his son was David Hart Smith. And I believe there's only five father and sons to ever win a championship um, back-to-back. So he won a title, and Davey Boy is a intercontinental champion, European champion, hardcore champion, and two-time tag champ. And his son won the tag team championships, David Hartsmith. I was a part of the Hart Dynasty with Tyson Kidd. So he is in history of one of only five uh, father-son duos to ever accomplish nice. that. To win a um, his son will actually be accepting this honor on his behalf due That's to awesome. his recent passing, which I think is amazing. Yeah. And um, I find it interesting, just kind of a final note here, Davy Boy Smith, British Bulldog, 
was very popular, famous, and well-achieved in this industry on a global scale, despite never being WWE champion. And I, I think that's very just amazing. And that just proves that sometimes it's not the belt that makes the wrestler. It's the wrestler that makes the belt, they always say. Right. And, right. and again, I think it's important that the Hart Foundation had a big role in that. Or I keep saying the Hart Foundation, but the Hart you know, community, the Hart Dungeon and everything, yeah. that whole family. He's from that family wrestling. But the UK fan base is what really carried his legacy, too. He was such a beloved wrestler for them. Absolutely. Well, the British Bulldog, Davey Boy Smith, is the final inductee in the class of 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, overall, I think it's a pretty good class, pretty solid. We had a lot of great memories and moments here. Um, let's progress forward and let's talk about the class of 2021. So now that we got the class of 2020 in the books, the class of 2021, um, a little smaller this year, but again, because we're inducting so many people from last year. Mm-hmm. But there's some definitely gems in this class. So let's go ahead and get started with our first inductee. So our first inductee into the 2021 class is none other than Molly Holly. Now, not a lot of people will know this, but Molly Holly actually started her career in WCW as Macho Man Randy Savage's valet. Mm-hmm. And she it was one of his entourage of people. And um, at the time, he was dating Gorgeous George, and he was practically begging Molly Holly to train her. Mm-hmm. And so she was already an accomplished wrestler pretty early on. From there, she moved on to the WWE and was introduced as Hardcore and Crash Holly's cousin, Molly Holly, hence her gimmick name. And then from there, she's been able to bend and flex her career. And the late great Dusty Rhodes always said, as much as you can keep reinventing yourself, you'll last in this industry. And so she went from a Hardcore Holly's cousin, and then she kept that name and morphed into, I believe, Mighty Molly, Mm-hmm. where she did this gimmick with the hurricane, Shane Helms, and it was a superhero gimmick, and it kept her relevant on a different scale. And then there was a few more memorable moments, but I want to hear some of your thoughts. Yeah, Molly Holly, um, trained by the legendary Hall of Famer Bob Holly, correct? He's in the Hall of Fame too, right? Bob Holly is? Um, that I would have to look yeah, up. Yeah, we'll have to look it up. I'm pretty sure he is, though. I remember... I think they inducted him a few years back. But, yeah, uh, trained by Bob Holly, uh, hence the reason why she was part of the Holly clan there in WWF. But, I, yeah, I did forget about, the, about her brief stint in WCW. That's pretty cool, though. She is a two-time women's champ, a one-time hardcore champ. Her real name is Nora Benchoof. Not a, lot, a lot of people would uh, realize that her real name is Nora. But, yeah, you, you hit it right on the head, Brian. She really changed her game. She started out as Molly Holly, and she really had to adapt to the time period of women's wrestling and into the diva era because she finished when they were heading into the diva era. So um, very solid, very underrated performer. Not the greatest on the mic, but she was an excellent wrestler. I agree. Um, She was a true women's wrestler in a time when women's wrestling was not marketed. So, And then, like you said, they were transitioning into the divas era so she, this was that era of they had like Jazz and Victoria and Tristratus and Lita. So there was good women wrestlers, but the WWE really didn't market it as much. So mm-hmm. they kind of had to survive on their own, and they taught each other. Um, the other thing I want to give her credit for, again, um, Dusty Rose and Ric Flair used to say that anytime you align yourself with your gimmick with the name of another person, so in this case Molly Holly aligned with Hardcore Holly and Crash Holly, Sometimes you're doing yourself a disservice because now all of a sudden your expectations 
are, oh, you should be exactly like them or similar for your whole career. Um, there was a situation that Ric Flair talked about when he was going to want to come in as Dusty Rhodes' cousin. And Dusty said, absolutely not. That would be horrible for you. Mm-hmm. And so I think about it, despite being Molly Holly, there was a point in her career where she broke away from Hardcore and Crash. And I didn't think nothing of it. And I thought of her on her own in that women's division. One of her most memorable matches to me, and I just thought this was just kind of inspiring of her reinventing herself and not being scared to try new things. WrestleMania 20, women's match with Victoria, hair versus hair. Okay. And Victoria had shaved Molly Holly's head bald. And it was like, wow, to me that a female was that dedicated to the industry to allow her head to be shaved bald and had to don that hairstyle for the longest time. Do you remember that match? Yeah, and I really believe that kind of kick-started the change in her um, gimmick and her actual wrestling career. She kind of pulled away from the Molly Holly kind of deal and into the actual changing into uh, her own gimmick. Yeah, so I, I, yeah, I, do, I do remember that. Her, um, I liked her finisher. Mm-hmm. The Molly go round, yeah, where she jumped off the top rope and flipped, and I thought that was, you know, she wasn't, uh, again, female wrestler, not scared of the top rope, not scared to get in there and wrestle. I always thought she would have been a good fit and right to censor over Ivory because Molly was always kind of very by the book and very, you know, PC corrected and everything. But you know, um, lack of mic talk, I think, really hurt her. I think I agree. I, yeah, the mic talk was definitely maybe the thing that gave Ivory the nod over that. Yeah. Any other final thoughts on Molly? No, I mean, it's well-deserved, again, trained by Bob Holly um, and Dusty Rhodes. So congratulations to Molly, two-time women's champ and hardcore champ. Well-deserved. Welcome to the Hall of Fame, Molly. Let's go to the next one. Well, this man needs no introduction. Eric Bischoff. Now, um, I'm surprised they didn't include him in the NWO induction, but you know what? He does deserve... His own nod. I talked about this a few weeks on the show, but this uh, some people are looking at this as controversial to have him in the Hall of Fame. I completely disagree. I feel that Eric Bischoff changed professional wrestling. And I talked about this on the show, and I said that you know when he came on the scene, he took over as head of WCW and then kind of created the NWO. And he, this man actually changed how wrestling, the business, was done. The WWF or WWE, they used to actually tape all their shows. WCW, Eric Bischoff said, we're going to start going live. And then what happened was he would go on Raw through leaking through the internet and stories, and he would reveal and read off the script for Raw and the tapings of what happened and say, here's what happens on Raw tonight. Go ahead and stay here and watch WCW. And basically change the whole ratings war. And... Vince McMahon was forced to make the WWF actually start going live. You would not have Monday Night Raw live if it wasn't for Eric Bischoff. And so that alone, you changed how wrestling was done outside of his NWO creation, outside of his accolades with WCW and beating the WWE for so many weeks in a row, almost a year and a half. Eric Bischoff definitely is a Hall of Fame candidate, in my opinion. What do you remember from Eric Bischoff? You know, you just hit it on the head. I had talked about earlier, he kind of spoiled the Mick Foley winning the title. That part, though, backfired on him because that's when Raw's ratings started to go back up and Vince McMahon really elevated his game. But, yes, uh, I agree. He is 100% uh, Hall of Fame uh, worthy. 
I remember him for his days with WCW. Um, he had a very close alliance there for a while with um, uh, Diamond Dallas Page. Um, he had a brief stint with him and Ric Flair when Ric Flair was in WCW, and then they had the whole um, gimmick with the referee. What was his name? Charles Robinson. Yes. I remember he used to pay him and be you know, the crooked ref. Um, kind of like Scott, Scott Armstrong was for WWE there for a while. Um, but, yeah, he's a former WCW hardcore champ. Uh, but the biggest thing I remember him for, obviously, is the Monday Night Wars. Um, he did ha- he did do a couple of good things in WWE, but if you want to keep talking about WCW, we can. Let me hit on one more point. Let's go there then. Um, Bischoff, when you mentioned Diamond Dallas Page, not a lot of people know this, but he was very – influential in helping diamond dallas page despite starting in the business in his 30s eric bischoff was his friend and actually got him the training and got him the opportunity to go on and do something amazing and have a ddp career right Mm -hmm. so and ddp actually gave up his successful business to go do this wrestling thing and the percent of success at that age is so small and he was a champion well into his 40s. And Eric Bischoff was the one that gave him the door to that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, definitely, you know, you would have another Hall of Famer if it wasn't for Eric Bischoff. And Eric Bischoff inducted DDP into the Hall of Fame a couple years back. That's correct. And that's why those two are so close. Let's talk about his WWE contributions. <laughs> he was the original, when Raw and SmackDown split, he was the original Raw GM. Very controversial. Um, he was the a-hole um, fans hated him. That's that's why I think he was so great. His personality on TV, he was brilliant, not only in WCW but on Raw as well. Um, he had a nice feud with Stone Cold where they were the co-Raw GMs. I remember that. But the most memorable moment for me, for him, on Raw was when Vince McMahon fired him and they put him in the back of the garbage truck. I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> I just loved how that all went down when they fired him. I did love that. Um, for me, I remember when McMahon hired him and they were hugging on stage. And that was just unheard of. You were like Eric Bischoff hugging Vince McMahon and shaking his hand, and they were smiling. And and he had a great general manager career. Um, I do remember the dumpster incident where they threw him in the dumpster. I remember the ECW invasion at ECW One Night Stand, and Eric Bischoff brought WCW and WWE guys to ECW to invade. And I just thought his whole microphone work and his banter was really great with there. Mm-hmm. So, And he's been all over the business. I mean, he's also been in TNA for a while, too. So he's been all over the place. But here's a fun fact. Can I give you a fun yes. fact? He is the uh, original creator of the Elimination Chamber and Raw Roulette. Did you know that? Um, I did, but I'm so glad you mentioned it because it's a very valid point. He did create the Elimination Chamber, which is still used today. And Raw Roulette was fun. It shook it up. So, yeah, I mean, he has had so many innovative ideas across the business and has influenced and, you know, it's hard to argue that he doesn't belong in the Hall of Fame. I think a lot of – and let's talk about the reasons real quick, if you don't mind, why some fans hate him. Okay. I think a big thing was he was the key guy that said, okay, it's time to end Goldberg's streak. And a lot of fans took that personal personally when they – kind of did the whole Scott Hall and Kevin Nash kind of screw job, if you will. A lot of fans never forgave him for that. Um, There were some other things, but that was the biggest thing I remember about why fans hated Bischoff. I think um, another thing that actually, he gave Hulk Hogan a lot of power, Mm -hmm. contract-wise. And a lot of the former WWF stars, when they came over, he gave them creative control. And I think that was ultimately, you know, the rise and a bit of the downfall. And I know there was a lot of guys in the locker room that resented that. 
And there was a lot of guys that would play their creative control card if they didn't agree with a storyline. They're like, nope, nope, I'm not losing to that person. I've got this. And so ultimately, I think that did lead to a little demise. But, you know, it did. You have to deal the hot hand. And when you have these stars coming over, you have to go with what's hot. And you have to, you know, that they wouldn't even got on the map if it wasn't for those cards. So any of your final thoughts on Eric? And then recently, I believe they've also used Bischoff for creative, right? He's helped out on some of the creative jobs that they've done the last couple of years with WWE. They did bring him in a little bit um, to do some creative work. And then um, it was a little short-lived. Mm-hmm. But I think... Clash with Vince and Bischoff. They're two strong personalities that didn't mesh well. And and they're um the WWE's going in a different direction now. So Eric is from that attitude late era, but definitely influenced the industry and yes. welcome him to the Hall of Fame, absolutely. Yes, long overdue in my opinion. Definitely. Let's go to our next candidate. Our next inductee in the WWE Hall of Fame, Bad Bunny. Nick, I'll let you lead this one off. You know, I forgot. Is he the celebrity this year? He is going to be taking on The Miz this year. So why are they inducting him into the Hall of Fame? Is there an issue with that? For me, as this is his first stint. I mean, what has he done to deserve this? I mean, and why are they pushing? I don't want to take over your show. No, no, do it. I do really it. hate Bad Bunny. And it's nothing against him personally, but that whole thing with Booker T, that was horrible. Ever since he's been there, it's just the whole thing with The Miz is terrible. And I I watch Raw and SmackDown on Hulu now, and I skip through. I, I hate just, Bad Bunny. Yeah, yeah, I hate him. Um, the Miz is my boy. You know that. Yeah, I don't like him. My either. tag team partner. Don't like him either. Um, but Bad Bunny, Hall of Fame worthy? No. What a joke. Well, I hate to tell you, but it is a joke. Happy belated April Fool's. Nah, Bad you. Bunny is not in the Hall of Fame, folks. I figure you were doing this, but I just played along. Um, so I wanted to have a little fun with Nikki T over here. You should have done The Miz. That would have really gotten me going. So Bad Bunny, not in the Hall of Fame. That's a good one. Late little prank here on my uh, co-host. Let's go to the real one. I introduced Bad Bunny because I wanted to lighten the blow of this next Hall of Fame inductee. Is this still a prank? This is not a prank. Oh, okay. So I wanted to put Bad Bunny in there just to make it easier to accept the great Kali as the Hall of Fame inductee. Um, Starting out, great Kali came into the industry pretty quickly and was shot straight to the top, mostly because of his size. And he had some feuds with John Cena and Randy Orton early on, and... Yeah, you know, I'm gonna be honest. Um, not a lot of people are happy about this one. I'll give my thoughts in a moment of how we influenced the industry. Um, not the best wrestler, no. and I can count on one hand how many memorable moments he's given me in the wrestling career. But the great colleague, give me your first thoughts. You know, some of those Punjabi prison matches were fun to watch. Um, I really liked it when he was with uh, his brother uh, Rajan Singh, right? Is Raisin Singh yes. is his real life brother, actually, which is hilarious because of the size differential. But um, he was great on the mic, and he really kind of carried great colleagues' mic abilities. Because let's be honest, outside of Longest Yard, he was not known for speaking much. So, um, how's he, his Hall of Fame speech going to be? Uh, hopefully, Raisin Singh does everything. Okay, I'm I'm hoping you know. Thank you very much, WWF, and that's it, or E, whatever. I I'll do. be interested to see how his uh, Hall of Fame speech is. Yeah. Um, he's a, you know, he's a former world champion, a heavyweight champion, um, and that's about it. So, um, I really don't have much to say. Uh, congratulations. I do think, real quick, his influence on the Indian, uh, market, they were trying to branch yeah. out and try to, Vince McMahon's trying to get more of the Asian culture involved into mm-hmm. his brand and sport. 
So, and he also did that recently with uh, Jinder Mahal, pushing mm-hmm. him as the champion. I think that's he was the original um, um, Asian uh, uh, champion. So, and I was going to go there with India. Um, Kali was very influential. Mm-hmm. This was the highlight of his career. You know, he was very influential, runs a training school in India, very influential in getting the WWE to break into India mm-hmm. a little more. Mm-hmm. Um, India has probably one of the largest WWE Network subscribing base. And that's why you're seeing things as far as, hey, we need to get more into that market because there's so many people that live in that con- in that area. So um, the great Kali, you know, not really for the wrestling ability. He was a special attraction in the fact of his size. Um, you don't see people like that all the time, right? So it's a wonder of the world, so to speak. But I believe he was influential in helping the WWE, like Jinder Mahal, like you said, to try to get that India fan base um, I did enjoy the Punjabi prison matches because it was different. Yeah, it was different. And it added something kind of special for mm-hmm. me to watch, a whole bamboo structure. I remember the match with Batista. I kind of like that. And it's just, you know, Kali is this monster in there, and then you're trying to escape him mm-hmm. through these trap doors. Um, should we go into his comedy relief as the the kiss cam and uh, when he kind of became the Punjabi playboy? Yeah, that was kind of cheesy, but we can talk about it, obviously. Um, I remember them doing that. I will say this. I'm going to give Kali credit for doing what was asked of him of the company because it's not necessarily the guy doing that job. It's the guy that is doing the job that was asked of the company. Mm-hmm. Creative writing asked him to do some kind of cheesy stuff. I wasn't a big fan of it. I was kind of like, what are they doing here? But in the end of the day, um, I believe that did keep him in good standing with the company. Yeah, um, and I believe... He was the mentor to Jinder Mahal, and he actually brought Jinder over to the United States and kind of got him involved in the WWE. So I'm sure that, you know, Jinder Mahal looks up to the great Khali. Um, I do know also his brother, here's a fun fact, his brother ran SmackDown. Rajan Singh ran SmackDown for about six years. He was the head of creative of SmackDown. I didn't know if you knew that or not. I did so not. So that's, that's yeah. So and I believe Raging Singh is inducting him into the Hall okay. Of Fame, so very nice. But yeah, that's about it for Kali. Congratulations. Um, so Kali in the Hall of Fame, and like I said on a previous show, here's the silver lining for you guys. If you're not a fan of Kali being in the Hall of Fame, if he goes in the Hall of Fame, you'll never have to see him wrestle again. There's your silver lining. Yeah, and you know, he has one more world championship than the Godfather or Coco Beware. Very good point. Let's move ahead. So another part of the Hall of Fame ceremony came a few years ago when the Ultimate Warrior got inducted. And I liked this concept, and he said there should be a Warrior Award to recognize now, when the Warrior first placed this, he said employees in the WWE that do work. And he was kind of going towards cameramen and um, wardrobe people. And he was like, we need to start recognizing people that make us look good. Mm-hmm. The WWE did take this and kind of put a political spin on it and started making it more of a charity award, which I think was fine as well. But I would like to someday see this be more WWE employees instead of just random kind of charity awards well they had the the first winner was uh connor the crusher it broke my heart to watch his dad's speech and then um joan london who they partnered with the susan g coleman yep that that but that was pretty cool i thought um but yeah i i agree with you i'm glad that they're finally starting to shift back towards the former wrestlers or some of the employees like titus o'neill yep and titus is this year's warrior award winner 
Um, Titus is actually does a lot of charity for the WWE. He he really is that ambassador for the company. He does a lot of work in the community. Um, he is if you ever watch some of the behind the scenes stuff, even though you don't see him on Raw all the time, Titus World Slide. He does slide into that charity work pretty well, and he actually uh, is very involved and gives the WWE a good face. So I definitely would think I like that this award is going to a WWE employee, and I like that it's going to a man of Titus's status in that type of world. I do too, I, and I really uh, I enjoy Titus O'Neil. I think he's very entertaining, not only in the ring but outside. Though uh, all the work that he's done in his home city of Tampa Bay, Florida, has been great helping young kids, helping rebuild schools and churches. I just think it's wonderful what he's done. So He's definitely the primetime player mm-hmm. of the hour. Yes. So, well, Congratulations. Congratulations, Titus. Let's go to our next. R-V-D. Rob Van Dam. And you have to say his name like that because that's how he said it. Mm-hmm. R-V-D to me, was an amazing, well-deserved Hall of Fame nomination. Made his career in ECW, and then made his career go even further in WWE, and even helped launch the ECW brand into WWE. When I first watched Rob Van Dam, I was amazed by his ability to take martial arts and blend it into the world of pro wrestling. And he was the originator of... Of the leapfrog Mm -hmm. finishing move. A lot of people remember Eddie Guerrero for it, but it was actually RVD that started it. The Van Daminator, Mm -hmm. among others. Um, His style was so unique, and he truly was one of a kind. What were your thoughts on RVD? Fan favorite um, ever since the beginning days of WC, I knew I was going to say the ECW, Extreme Championship Wrestling. Um, he was one of the hand-picked guys that Paul Heyman picked out, you know, back in the, what, the early 90s is when ECW started, correct? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, you know, he's all about uh, putting, he's like a Mick Foley kind of type. He doesn't care what happens to his body as long as it entertains the fans. He's a pioneer for the ECW brand. Um, I always loved him. Uh, he wasn't the greatest on the mic, but again, his wrestling backed up and kind of took over that weakness of uh, being on the mic. But... Uh, the fans loved him because he was a pure out of entertainer and he was there for them. Yeah, um, memorable moments for me. I, one of my favorites, um, he had tons of ECW ones, which you can't name them all. Yeah. Um, I remember in WWE, he had that one-night stand match where he was Mr. Money in the Bank and he spray-painted the bank kind of graffiti-like. Mm-hmm. And he actually took on John Cena, but he made John Cena come to the ECW arena mm-hmm. for his title match. And they hated John Cena. They had the, if Cena wins, we riot banner. Mm -hmm. And I remember John took off his, you know, uh, his shirt and he tried to throw it to the fans and the fans threw it back at him. And then he just kind of was shocked by it. So he took it and threw it to another part. The fans threw that shirt back about three or four times. And finally, Rob walks over to him and kind of looked at him and said, they're not going to accept it and did his whole RVD thing. And the fans are chanting. And the fans were brutal. I actually, Cena won my respect in that match because he handled that very hostile environment. But that just goes to show you how influential RVD was to that fan base and to that ECW world. And he even helped bring it into the modern era. And it was an amazing title win for his WC, or excuse me, ECW so championship. You, did it too. you got me doing it too. So RVD definitely. Anything else on Rob Van Dam? You know, RVD, in my opinion, I don't, I don't know if you'll agree with me or not on this, but. He was the guy that helped 
Paul Heyman push ECW to the top, and really, he was the poster boy of ECW. He wasn't a John Cena or a Hulk Hogan, but he was their top guy, in my opinion. When I think of ECW, besides Paul Heyman, Rob Van Dam comes to mind. I mean, he was one of the original pioneers of that sport. Rob Van Dam definitely is in that Hall of Fame of ECW. Um, I feel he is a first ballot Hall of Famer yes. all around. Um, and again, I'm a sucker for the fact that he mixed that martial arts world, which you know I love, yes, dear, yes. into the world of pro wrestling. It made he was me one real of the first, wasn't he? He was, yes. and it made me realize, wow, I really could transition to pro wrestling if I wanted to from MMA, and I love that. So yeah. um, RVD, and it was amazing athleticism, mm-hmm. truly one of a kind. Yeah. Do you want to go through all the accolades? Let's I mean, do it. He's got tons. Lines. Three lines of accolades here. Former WWE champ one time, ECW champ, so technically he's a two-time world champ because we'll, we'll count ECW, yep. obviously. He is a six-time intercontinental champion. He's not on the uh, – he, he's not one of the all-time but greats for IC champs, but he's up there, obviously. Um, then you have four-time hardcore champion. He was a former European champion. He was the last hardcore and European champion. He's the last guy to oh, hold wow. both belts. Not at the same time, but just periodically. He is a three-time WWE Tag Team Champion. He is a former ECW TV Champion and a two-time ECW Tag Team Champion. And he was the 2006 Money in the Bank winner. That is a huge Hall of Fame first ballot career. Mm-hmm. I want to add one more to that. Okay. He is undefeated at WrestleMania. I didn't know that. He's 4-0. Really? And so he actually has an undefeated WrestleMania streak as oh, well. Oh, he has a better winning percentage than The Undertaker. Ooh, I think, Ooh. I, just, I, think I just upset a lot of fans out there. <laughs> so, Mr. WrestleMania then, huh? Mr. WrestleMania, RVD. So let's go to We're gonna our upset a lot of people over that. final candidate and another first ballot. The Big Red Machine, Kane. Kane, real name Glenn Jacobs, Came into the wrestling scene in WWF and had a lot of failed gimmicks at first. Mm-hmm. He was given a chance to play Isaac Yankum DDS, the evil dentist with rotten teeth. Horrible gimmick, but he was Jerry Lawler's dentist to bring in to fight Bret Hart. And then that failed. Um, he was then given the opportunity when Kevin Nash left for WCW to play the fake Diesel. and But they still marketed him as fake Diesel and then... Um, he basically went through and that didn't work out. And I, I felt bad because we kind of felt like this guy was not going to be, end up being a hall of famer. We felt like maybe he was going to end up like the next Gene Snitsky kind of wrestler and it wasn't his fault. So what, like see what, what I did you, there? Yes, I love what you did there. <laughs> so he then was given his final opportunity, which was the dead man, the undertaker's brother, Kane and Vince McMahon has been known to say this is his last chance. And, you know, it wasn't really his fault, so to speak. And I remember his debut. They built it up for months, and it was Paul Bear saying the Undertaker's brother is alive. And they built up this whole Kane is alive. And then all of a sudden, at the very first Hell in the Cell, Shawn Michaels versus the Undertaker, and you hear this organ music playing, the lights go out and fire and red lighting, and out walks Kane, and he rips the door off the hell in the cell mm-hmm. and throws it and leaves the Undertaker beaten. And Shawn Michaels barely survives hell in a cell and beats the Undertaker. Kane, I loved when they would introduce him. He would randomly, the lights would go off and the organ music, 
and he would randomly come out and beat somebody up. And it didn't matter who. He was a monster. Yeah. What do you remember about Kane? His size, obviously. Um, yeah, Kane was amazing. I love Kane. Um, you know, a lot of people are going to go back and forth who should close out the show. But I think I love RVD, but Kane, to me, he would change wrestling. Um, in the Attitude Era, as you mentioned, he came out as the uh, Undertaker's brother in the early 90s, or mid-90s, I should say, mid to late 90s. Um, Kane, though, I just I just love the whole gimmick. He came, They introduced him as the devil's favorite demon, and I just loved it. The big red machine, um, the mask. I love the mask. That was my favorite part about Kane, because you just wondered for years, what's underneath the mask? How, you know... Yep. Because they always said that he was burned as a child and everything. And I just love the whole mystery of what's underneath the mask. And when they did unmask him, I love the story of how because he was in a fire, he had trauma. Mm -hmm. And he's seen himself as burned, but he wasn't actually burned. And I love how they reveal that because you can't do makeup on him every single time. So I love how they did that psyche of him and that he wore the mask because he mentally thought he was, Mm -hmm. you know, burned. And... So they did a really good job bringing his story along. Let's talk a little bit of um, memorable matches. So he's had tons of matches with The Undertaker. Two at WrestleMania, correct? Or Two at WrestleMania. Two, yeah. And um, he's had some feuds with everybody you can name, right? Stone Cold Steve Austin. He's had feuds with – he's been around the industry for so long. He had some good matches with Mick Foley, too. Mick Foley. Um, and then he was even good with Undertaker as the Brothers of Destruction in a tag mm-hmm. team. And it's had some memorable matches there. And, you know, even as of within the last 10 years, he actually has had some great feuds. If you remember back on SmackDown, it's been about 10 years because Paul, uh, uh, oh, Paul. Paul Heyman? Paul Bear. Paul Paul Bear, Bear, sorry. Sorry, Paul Bear. Right before he died, he was in a feud with Edge where, if you remember, where Edge was really still – this badass rated R superstar. He was picking on Paul Bearer. Paul Bearer was in a wheelchair. I just love that feud. I thought it was very well done, the creative, where he would kidnap Paul Bearer and Kane would just kind of terrorize Edge to find him, you know. And I love that uh, a lot. That was so much fun. But my favorite memory as of late has been was when he teamed with Daniel Bryan, Team Hell No. Oh, yeah. That whole, that whole um, going to the psychiatrist uh, session, that was just hilarious. I thought it was very well done. Uh, the Hell No, Team Hell No was an amazing, you know, and again, it pumped life into both guys. Mm-hmm. Um, I also love, for some reason, was the feud with Seth Rollins when it was Commissioner Kane where he was in a suit and normal, and then it was Demon Kane. Mm-hmm. And on the same show, Commissioner Kane would show up. Corporate Kane. Yeah. Or Corporate Kane. And then Demon Kane would show up. Mm-hmm. And Seth Rollins, uh, Corporate Kane, would act like nothing was wrong. And then Seth was, like, scared of him. But then he was like, you keep him away from me. And he's like, what are you talking about? I was just getting you your coffee. <laughs> and So that was a nice back and forth, and you didn't know which Kane was going to show up. Um Let's talk about Kane outside the WWE because he had a lot of influence outside the world of wrestling. So what are some things he did? Um, You know, he's been a huge ambassador. He went over to, you know, Iraq in the early 2000s for their tribute to the troops. He was a big um, supporter of that, and he also um, was just an ambassador trying to get fans from around the world involved into wrestling along with the Big Show. Him and the Big Show were really big into that, being ambassadors. 
Uh, and I know politically now he ran for Congress a couple of times, but he uh, just, just won, what, last year or two years ago. He's now the mayor of Knoxville. So. Yeah, he's mayor in Tennessee. And um, so that's a huge accolade outside of the WWE. Um, he's had a little brush in Hollywood, too. He's had two horror movies with the See No Evil series. Yeah. Um, and again, he played that into his WWE character mm-hmm. and had him kind of play that character as well. And that even led into kind of a Kane versus fake Kane type storyline. Yes. Um, so he had, which they kind of dropped very abruptly, but um, Kane has definitely had a fall, Hall of Fame legendary career. What were some of his uh, championships? His accolades, this is long too, just like RVD's. He's a three-time world champion. He won the WWF or WWE Championship, World Heavyweight Championship, ECW Championship there when they brought it back in, what, 2006? Uh, he's a two-time Intercontinental Champion, one-time Hardcore Champion. He's won the 24-7 Championship as of most recently, what, a year or two ago. Um, he's 11-time WWE Tag Team Champion. He is wow. also a former WCW Tag Team Champion when they brought the belts over in the Invasion. That's right. He won the 2012 Money in the Bank. And um, before I get to the last part, any do you want to talk about any of those accolades? No, because more? that's a lot and that's amazing. Mm-hmm. And all you're doing is validating his first ballot status. But what was your final thought? And my final thought is the Royal Rumble. He changed the Royal Rumble forever. Yes. He dominated the Royal Rumble over the years. He has the most appearances with 20. He also has the most eliminations with 46. And here's a fun fact. He was the last man to ever eliminate and technically be the last match for CM Punk. He eliminated CM Punk, wow. and then CM Punk uh, threw his little tantrum and uh, left the company. So, Guys, you are hearing amazing commentary by Nikki T. Michaels, wrestling savant. Yeah, right. And knowledge. I mean, the, the knowledge that you're bringing into this. I'm learning even more stuff yeah. today that I knew. You're reawakening that learning about Kane. It's amazing. Well, remember, so. he was corporate Kane at that point, and CM Punk was destined to win the Royal Rumble. That was WrestleMania 30, and he got screwed by corporate Kane. Corporate Kane came out of the audience and, and eliminated him all over the top rope. The fans were mad, and that was gonna, supposed to set up a Triple H-CM Punk match at WrestleMania that year. But CM Punk walked out, Yep. and I felt bad for Kane because a lot of people took out their frustration on Kane. It wasn't Kane's fault. No. You know, that was just part of the feud because he had a nice feud going there with CM Punk the last couple of months prior in TLC and all that. Yeah. But, um, yeah, getting back to the Royal Rumble, to me, when you think of the Royal Rumble, obviously a lot of people think of Shawn Michaels because he was the first man to win at number one. Um, Rey Mysterio, because he had that magical run. And then, of course, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. But when I think of the Royal Rumble, I think of Kane. Absolutely. Um, I can't add to that because that's you've covered an amazing amount of material on Kane and all very good and correct. And he, uh, you know, in the beginning of the show, we were debating on RVD or Kane being kind of the head class. You've convinced me, Kane. Well, Definitely and, head of the class. <laughs> and you watched that video I sent you yesterday, right? Uh, yes. The Undertaker folks go on YouTube uh, of Kane finding out that he was going to be inducted, and The Undertaker told him on one of the WWE Network shows, hey, congratulations, and Kane was crying, Undertaker was crying. That was a beautiful moment. It was a beautiful, emotional moment on uh, The Bump, was yeah, the show. The yeah. Bump, yes. Um, welcome, Kane, to the head of the WWE mm-hmm. Hall of Fame Class of 2021. He is our final inductee. 
Guys, we went over a lot on Tap Out Talk, and I would like to thank – actually, wait, we're missing one more. We're missing one more Hall of Fame induction. Oh, I no, completely not forgot. Prank. Not another prank. This is a legit Hall of Fame induction. I can't believe I forgot about this. Um, I would like to induct my man, Nikki T. Michaels, into the Tap Out Talk Hall of Fame, the first ever oh, inductee into this Hall of Fame, this prestigious club here on Tap Out Talk. Um, Nikki, I want to thank you for you being on the show. And do you have a Hall of Fame acceptance speech? Uh, I just want to thank you, Brian, uh, for having me. Uh, I, you've been on my show, so now I appreciate you uh, having me on this. Um, and thanks to the fans for listening. I know I stumble a couple of times when I talk, but this has been a blast kind of going into uh, the time machine here this afternoon talking about all these wonderful uh, wrestlers. This has been great. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you. Nikki T. Michaels, real quick, um, you want to shout out your podcast and any of your other media? Sure. Uh, yeah, if you want to follow me, I don't necessarily just do wrestling. I do all kinds of sports, football, basketball, all that, but at Nick Michaels 89 on Twitter and on Instagram and then Facebook Nick Michaels. And then my show is uh, Trash Talk on all the uh, podcast platforms, Apple, uh, Spotify. So check out Trash Talk. Awesome. And I will link Trash Talk in the description below. Sweet. Give him a little traffic his way. Again, Hall of Fame tap out talk legend <laughs> Nikki T. Michaels. I'm Brian Adkins, and this has been Tap Out Talk. Thank you for watching, and thank you for being a Hall of Fame audience. And for now, it's game over.